Hi, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Fallout 3 and the upcoming Fallout 4 stuff. But before we get into that, Buddy, why don't you tell the audience what we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple, Mango. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. We're actually going to be doing the first in a two-parter just because of uh, – that's how influential Fallout 4 is going to be in our lives. I think it really does deserve two episodes uh, of content all to itself. So we wanted to, you know – State for the record our our uh, where we are going into this game and uh, let everybody know kind of what our thoughts are for these kind of Bethesda games uh, going on. Yeah, but I think we want to start just by talking a little bit about general Fallout 4 impressions because, interestingly enough, I know that you've been keeping very uh, close attention on some of this stuff. And I, for the record, have not been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do we want to talk about our weeks first? Um, Oof, that just, is definitely a good idea. I think yeah, uh, giving so, a little taste for the non-Fallout listeners among you. Yeah, given given that we're going to do two <laughs> whole weeks on this, maybe like 15 minutes about what we've been doing lately, um, just to kind of add a little bit of spice in. But yeah, why don't you, you finished your Heart of the Swarm replay through, because I can see the Void comes out at the same time as Fallout 4. Not as important, but certainly very close. <laughs> Indeed. I actually, so I did finish my Heart of the Swarm playthrough, and uh, I was playing through the campaign again on hard, and I can't help but feel a little bit um, disillusioned, almost, in a strange way, regarding the ending of Heart of the Swarm. And now, just for any folks who haven't played the game and are looking to avoid spoilers, uh, this is your warning. Um, but Mango, Heart of the Swarm ends with Sarah Kerrigan and Jim Rayner toppling Emperor Manx's dominion, killing Manx, um, and kind of reclaiming the dominion for humans, right? At the same time, though, Kerrigan has mutated herself back into the Queen of Blades after, after she was freed from that with the Zelnaga artifact in uh, the Wings of Liberty campaign. And instead of, you know, staying with Jim Rayner, who she purportedly has, you know, she loves him, right? Like, she got back together with him almost. Um, she has decided to go take her Zerg Swarm, uh, which is completely free of the influence of, you know, the evil Zelnaga, uh, Amon, to go find Amon and kill him, which is theoretically going to tie into, you know, the legacy of the Void plot. Um, I, I, I can't help but feel, um, I guess disillusioned is what I just said, but I can't help but feel a little let down almost that w this story has kind of ended so cyclically uh, I was really almost looking forward to, you know, this reconciliation between Jim Rayner and Sarah Kerrigan, right? It happened. They got back together, so to speak. Um, but she's reverted herself back to the Queen of Blades, and I feel as though that's almost a regression for her character, you know? And, and I feel like she could have gone so... You know, like, they, they could have taken her to kind of a new place, like, as a middle ground between Terran and Zerg or something like that, but instead kind of planted her back into this inhuman territory, which I mean, I'm not sure so, I like that much. So I'm an outsider looking, and I don't really care about the story of StarCraft II that much. Um, and it sounds to me like we're hitting a couple of fairly tropey things here. 
Um, so it kind of sounds like one, she's kind of doing the, you know, the, uh, the, the chosen one from the matrix asks, you know, the, the life, the, the, the lives of these life forms are more important than my own individual agency. So I'm willing to give that up and thus I'm a good person. And, um, also this kind of like, it, maybe it's a little bit ham fisted, but it sounds like what they're going for is kind of this tragic aspect, right? Like, Jim Rayner and, and Kerrigan were, were there. They were so close, but it was taken all away from them at the very end because of Sure, something. and I definitely don't want to understate that tragedy, right? Especially because the tragedy was played out extremely well over the course of the Heart of the Sworn campaign. Because what happens in the first couple of, you know, the first couple of levels, the first couple of worlds, you're playing as, you know, unmutated Kerrigan commanding the Swarm. Um, and she's kind of just alone in space because this Dominion attack where, you know, Jim was and he basically sacrificed himself in order to get her out. Um, this attack has left her stranded again and she still has her powers over the swarm. She can still command, you know, the Zerg. Um, but it's that, you know, it's that sacrifice that prompts her to... Uh, to like re like revenge right all she wants to do is kill manx and destroy the dominion for taking away you know like her chance at happiness again uh, a little bit after that she learns that the dominion has executed jim rayner though obviously i'm sure you've all figured out by now that jim rayner was not actually executed he was just being held uh and tortured more or less for information in a dominion so camp. so so does she revert back to the queen of blades before or after she finds that out she does it after. She reverts back to the Queen of Blades in order to become powerful enough to use the swarm to destroy the Dominion, right? So I definitely understand, like, the, the tragedy point. Uh, I just feel as though that tragedy could have been accented in another way. And it also seems to me there's a, a nagging question of why can't they just use the Zelnaga artifact to revert her back to this, you know, this prime, the, or to revert her back from her primal zerg form right i mean yeah. maybe some of these questions will be answered um you know we're recording this right as blizzcon has been announced and they've announced that there's going to be a lot of mission pack additions to starcraft which i'm a huge fan of personally um it definitely just kind of felt like it ended without enough of these questions being adequately answered and without enough of a resolution happening um for some of these characters maybe these things will be picked up in legacy of the void uh they were certainly picked up you know the cliffhangers from wings of liberty were certainly adequately picked up in heart of the swarm and i do trust you know blizzard storytellers but i think that kind of that nagging bit is keeping heart of the swarm down uh from being the better of the two stories at this at this moment in time but how can you have a good middle to the trilogy if Han Solo doesn't get flown off in his carbonite? <laughs> isn't isn't that what what uh, Kerrigan's kind of doing at this point, or am or am I am I misinformed? I I'm not quite sure that uh, it aligns as naturally as that. Um, okay. And the thing is, is also not really explicitly stated. The, the, the motivations for some of these actions aren't explicitly stated, right? We don't really... We know that Kerrigan is heading off towards Amon to go fight Amon, um, but we don't really necessarily know why. We don't really know what Jim Rayner's going to be doing here. A lot of this stuff is going to be pretty hazy, and there's a lot of kind of inferring that you have to do in order to fill in these blanks yourselves. And I'm not really sure that... Uh, 
that was maybe the best way to to put a cap on the expansion. It needed a little more. Uh, okay. I guess if I was French, I would call this denouement. Okay, that um, that actually that's interesting because I think part of this too, at least from my point of view, is that the first two games were very much about this kind of Terran sort of conflict. The the protests seemed almost kind of tertiary in that. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, but it just seems like they were always kind of like, oh, yeah, we're here too. And uh, Legacy of the Void is supposed to be primarily focused on them, so it's going to be interesting to see how much they can tie in uh, those first two races without making this feel like not the game. Like, well, keeping this a Protoss game while, while tying up those storylines. Well, I think the interesting thing about Legacy of the Void is we've kind of gotten confirmation from the opening cinematic that Legacy of the Void is going to be very focused on this kind of uh, reclamation effort, right? The Protoss are going back to Ayer and they're going to reclaim their homeworld, which was lost, by the way, in the... Uh, um, capstone mission to starcraft one right was ire being completely flooded by the zerg um and having to uh destroy the overmind there so i guess the 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 hope i think is that they don't stay entirely on ire and that we do get this kind of resolution to what's happening out with you know amon and space and everything like that i think it's a little bit strange um personally i i find it i find it strange that they're not focusing on zeratul zeratul has been the key protoss actor as far as we you know the player are concerned uh, in the other two games. And so it really made sense to me that we'd be playing as Zeratul in his efforts to destroy Amon. Um, but as far as I understand it, Legacy of the Void is told from the from a different perspective, which kind of makes... It makes me scratch my head a little bit. Um, it wouldn't make a lot of in-game sense just because of Arcana. Uh, the Dark Templar, you know, being banished from Ayer would kind of make it a little bit strange to see Zeratul and the Stalkers uh, and his Dark Templar from uh, the exile planet Shakuras help out their uh, more noble, theoretically, brothers-in-arms uh, in Ayer. But I I'm sure these questions are all going to be answered next week. I don't really want to speculate too hard uh, without going much further i also know that there is a prologue campaign to legacy of the void that i haven't quite played i played the first mission just to kind of get a taste of it it's focused on zeratul and i think it might be you know it might help explain this transition between zeratul um and the rest of the protoss campaign in legacy of the void okay all right so that, that sounds good let's yeah what have uh, what have you been up to what have you uh, been playing? so uh so this week I, I put some time into two different games i hadn't played before um, earlier in the week, I was playing some Victor Vran, which is a, a Steam game. Um, it's playable with a controller, and it's, it's kind of like Diablo. It's got a lot of loot. Got, um, it's, the skills are more based around what kind of weapons you're wielding. Like, uh, kind of like in, say, Guild Wars 2, where your 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 weapon uh, kind of sets your, your skill set. Um, and then you also get cards for your demon powers, because you play Victor Vran, a man who made a pact with a demon or something. I didn't really care too much but it's a pretty fun. It's a pretty fun game. It feels like it's feels a little bit more skillful to me than um than Diablo three. Um, it feels like like you know like that my input is actually important, whereas in Diablo three it's more about the numbers. Um, but that's a lot. Of, that game's a lot of a lot of fun. Um, I'd recommend it. Not a whole lot to say about about it other than that. 
um, other than it's interesting and it's different. And if you like Diablo 3, I'd recommend checking it out. Um, but uh, the, the other big one was is yesterday I got a copy of uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, the oh newest in the Call Blops. of Duty. Blops. <laughs> you know, I kind of laughed to myself because I remember when they first announced Black Ops, and Black Ops was supposed to be this brave new direction for the for the the series that was kind of getting stale um and now it's on its third iteration again so you know we're we're just never gonna escape this but it's uh it's a game it's so i so for for people out there call of duty is kind of my guilty console shooter shooter pleasure it's very arcadey it's not super tactical it's very kind of a ham like you go ham you go fast type of game um I don't like playing it on PC, even though usually I'm an advocate for PC because I want to play it with a controller, and you can't really do that. Um, and like, if you play it with, if you play a shooter on on the PC with a controller, you're, you're just, just asking get housed to, by yeah. you know keyboard warriors. Yeah, you're just you're just asking to lose. Um, and I'm not good in the first place, so I, I'm getting housed on the Xbox One. I don't want to get housed even harder. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, the other reason is is I feel that the COD games specifically are balanced around console play, and I don't think that they are as good games on the PC because of things like, um, like say sniper rifles. I think they are much more powerful on the PC because you because of the way you can screw with sensitivity and move the the the, the reticle much faster. Whereas on the PC, or I mean on the console, it's it's kind of very limited. I feel like that's a good mechanically balancing factor. Um, and so there's some new stuff in this game. Um, the, I only ever play multiplayer. So the single player, single player looks like it's a thing. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have heard that it's, that's one of the better ones, but I really don't care. Like, I, I played the original, I played the original Black Ops story. I played Modern Warfare one, uh, and a bit of two, but the two story, I, I never really got into, I, I don't really think the, you know, the, the, the shining, jewel in call of duty's crown is it's multi or is it single player oh absolutely <laughs> um although some people like it and apparently this one's pretty good that's good to hear i i loved for for the record i thought call of duty modern warfare right call of duty 4 was very well done and very well told um and probably one of the best ways to you know kind of do that super hardcore uh first-person shooters like it was it's, it's like the best version of that kind of storytelling i think um okay. but uh yeah I've, I've i've felt always that the call of duty is kind of almost shooters for not really like casuals for bros but yeah just for, yeah you know what i mean just for there's definitely a lot of mastery to it, and it's not something like Candy Crush, right? But it's right. not something for super, super hardcore, uh, crunchy play. You know, like, the the Captain Crunch players of the world uh, aren't really going to drift themselves yeah. towards Call of Duty. I think they, they are very content in CSGO land um, in general. So I, I have – so the new thing about – I have this very specific bone to pick, and it's been bothering me all weekend, so I kind of want to get this out there. Um, so there's this new system called specialists. Um, they're unlockable kind of like everything else. And essentially they give you like an ultimate. We've seen a lot of like overwatch kind of went this way. Um, over the course of the match, you build up meter and every time the meter is full, you can use it. Um, each, so each, uh, specialist has a 
has two abilities. One's a weapon, one's an ab- one's like some inherent ability, and you can only choose one of them, right? Like uh, like the the first character is called Ruin. His first weapon is called Gravity Spikes. You kind of jump and slam your fists into the ground and creates a big shock wave and kills everybody. The second one's called Overdrive, and you you run real fast. Um, like I said, you only get one of them at a time, um, and it's pretty cool. And I think it works well. And uh, there's there's a bunch of other um, there's they're, they're really varied. They're really different. I think I I think they are well done. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like your class in Destiny. Um, or like, like I said, like the ultimates for the characters in, uh, in Overwatch. But the thing that bothers me is that your specialist and your class are completely, (coughs) excuse me, independent of each other. Um, and you can't tie them together. And this bothers me so much because like I play a, uh, like one of the classes that I like to play is this one where I run around and I shoot things with a shotgun and I just, I run, I don't aim down the sights. I just run up close to people and I shoot them with a shotgun and that's fun. And for that, like the, the run real fast perk, the blitz, that's awesome. That is absolutely what I would take every time, every time I was playing that class. However, the other class I like to play is I use a light, a light machine gun and I kind of stay a little bit more of medium range and I would like literally anything else as my perk for that case. Um, just because running real fast is, well, not useless, is not particularly useful to me. And so you have to set, you can't switch your specialist in game. You have to set it before the game starts. So if I want to switch my class out, I'm stuck with a useless perk, or in the case of the shotgun class, if I switch to it, I have a suboptimal perk. And it just drives me crazy. I don't understand why the game just doesn't let you tie your specialist to your class and it's been driving me crazy um i suspect there's a technical reason for it something like because you have one charging meter all game for your for your ult switching that would probably they probably didn't want to have to deal with having to reset it or something or try and convert the points to something new um but it's just it's it's such a miss in what otherwise would have been a, a great way to do things right like i want to play as ruin with overdrive with my shotgun versus playing uh say the sparrow is sparrow is is like there's a bow one of the uh female characters gets a bow and she can shoot sparrow i think it's the name of the bow and she can shoot people and that goes well with that lmg theme that i was talking about but i can't i can't arbitrarily switch between the two of them i have to plan it out ahead of time before i go into the match it's infuriating but yeah that's that that is my that is this is the hill i'm going to die on my my hate <laughs> my hate for specialist uh, or not not hate for it, but my but like this this tiny little gripe that's just endlessly aggravating. So I can speak to this a little bit, um, because I I feel a, a similar thing in my uh, I suppose FPS of choice nowadays, which has of course been Payday Two. In Payday Two, you have similar things to these kinds of specialists, right? Because you have um you have skill points that you get from leveling up and you put them in different classes, right? And typically you can kind of fill out one or two trees. So there, so classes are defined by like, Oh, I'm playing tech forcer, tech forcer, which is half technician, half enforcer, or I'm, or I'm playing, you know, a medic drills build, which is half technician, half mastermind. Um, or, you know, ghost fugitive is one that a lot of people play kind of a thing. And something that's frustrating to me personally about how payday is set up is they have a couple of missions that are played out over a course of a couple of days, right? So you have day one, day two, and day three. And there are times 
when day one is a very loud shoot everything mission, right? Day two is a stealth mission or it is a mission that you can stealth and would be better to stealth, but you can go loud if you have to. And day three is you should go stealth. It's the optimal way to play this, but you can go loud if you have to kind of thing. And one of the things that I kind of feel like is a little bit of a misfire of the game is that I can't switch my spec specifically between these different days. As I enter into day one, as I enter into this, you know, into the mission as a whole, right? I have to complete all three days in order to complete the mission. I have to stay in whatever, you know, in whatever build I entered into the first day with. And at times it feels a little bit frustrating, but also I, I see a merit to the design decision behind it, right? Because I think it might be almost too much customization for the player. Like it's too optimal, too perfect. And I kind of like the, like the you know, I'm going to force you on day one, which is always going to be loud. I'm going to force you to do that in your hardcore stealth build because days two and three, you want to stealth, right? So day one is going to be that much harder because you you have a terrible build for it. And uh, similarly, you know, if I walk into day one with the most powerful armor and a giant minigun, right? Day two, all of a sudden, by the way, you can change your loadout between days, thankfully. Day two, all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, you are you have the specs for... Uh, the super hardcore loud loadout. You're, but you're gonna have to try and stealth it, even though you're not you're not optimal. Uh, you're not optimally built for that. And I think that, that adds a little bit of depth to the game, almost. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's tolerable because it's temporary. Um, I can always. You know, as soon as I complete this one mission in total, I can move to another mission where I can play my Thanatos Tech Forcer if I want to. Um, which, I don't know. I think I think that's a little bit of what it seems to be that you're describing, unless I'm misunderstanding something that you're uh, so getting I, at. I, I, think, I think that's... Val I think, first of all, that Payday is a very tactical game and it emphasizes a lot of planning. Call of Duty does not. Um, and... Part of this too is That's just right. is just like a, a UX issue too, right? Like, it would not bother me so much to even lock me into a class. Like, I can't, you know, like Call of Duty, you can change classes mid fight, and I wouldn't even mind so much if that was if you were locked into a class for the entire fight. My issue is that like, um, the the game starts counting down because it's in a lobby, right? And um, the game kind of loads in, and then you pick your class. But if I happen to take the wrong specialist, right? Like, I'm just starting to play the game, and I get, like, oh, you're playing Team Deathmatch on, on, uh, what's the name of one of them? I don't know, like, uh, Combine, right? I don't remember what half, like, and you get, like, this tiny little picture of an illustration of what the map is. If I don't remember what map that is, I don't know what necessarily what build I'm probably going to start out with, and the fact that I have to make that decision with the specialist beforehand, it's just kind of aggravating. I, don't, I think it's a bad user experience, to use kind of uh, uh, the software industry lingo, um, and I, I think that I think that even tying to the class at that point just makes it a better experience for the player overall. Okay, I, f I guess I, I I feel that to a certain extent. Uh, I definitely think that limiting factors are can really enhance you know 
the games are built on rules, laws technically in in a lot of situations that are kind of unassailable and it, there are times when I think restricting the player is the right thing to do, right? Like you could make this a freedom, like you, you like you could give them to free the freedom to make their own decisions. Um, but a lot of the times, I feel as though the game is actually enhanced in uh, in a lot of ways by restricting stuff down uh, into more discrete, you know, categories. Uh, but without playing without playing Fallout three or Fallout three, geez, I'm already thinking ahead. Without playing Black Ops three. Um, I can't really speak to the specific implementation of that principle. And I definitely think that, you know, this this also kind of sounds like one of those things like, you know, for instance, this is an entirely random thought, but Mario Maker, right? Mario Maker doesn't have uh, the, the technology to give you checkpoints, which is a huge point of frustration for a lot of players because it's one of those things where... Um, you you're trying a level and the level's really hard but every time you have to start over from the beginning and you know and nintendo just listened to that feedback and they were like listen in the next update you guys get checkpoints and i feel like this is kind of one of those things where if they announced an update that that was uh along those lines like if they announced that oh yeah in, in black ops 3 we're gonna let you change your specialization and your class mid-game uh, that w- it would read very much uh, the same way yeah. uh, to me, and I think that would be a, a neat little change for them. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I'll just, just a couple closing thoughts on Black Ops because we've, we've burned quite a bit of time on this. Um, uh, just that um, I thought I think that the primary weapon selection is pretty good. There's like a half dozen weapons in each category with more in the, um, uh, more in the assault rifle category because there always is. Um, but I'm actually, like, very specifically, I'm disappointed in the um, secondary weapon selection. There's three pistols, two launchers, and one other, which is a combat knife. And it leads me to wonder if, like, there's some, like, other, like, if there's going to be an expansion or something that that, that rounds that out. Because it just seems... That seems very, very light to yeah, me. Yeah, very light. for Specifically for the secondary weapons. Like, uh, the grenades each have a half dozen options each. The perks each have a half, half dozen options. But like, there's like a semi. There's one semi-auto auto pistol, and like two other pistols. I'm not sure what they do because I haven't unlocked them yet. There's one free-firing rocket launcher, and a, uh, and you can also lock on with it. And then one lock-on only launcher, like the Stinger in the in like the I think it was Modern Warfare one, and um, and then a combat knife, um, which it's it's just it's just weird to me. Um, on that note. Uh, no more one, or rather, the your melee is a uh, is is a gun butt, and it takes two hits to kill. So that that's a difference. Um, uh, as uh, actually, I don't even know if if we ever even recorded that one. But kind of the genesis for this podcast was talking about what was an idea I had for talking about the different melees in uh in different games. Um, and so they have changed that from the classic COD one one slap one kill. To, uh, you have to hit them twice, which you had to do with Oof. the riot shield. There's no riot shield in this game. Another wow. minus from me. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think that's kind of one of those, like, the Infinity Ward games have riot shields. The Treyarch games have zombies um, type of deals. But, yeah, that's, that is that is my two-day impression of the game. And it's it's still fun, right? Like, I, I'm still playing it. I will probably drop it at some point and not think about it again. But that's how it usually goes with COD. Um, it is It is fun for exactly what it is. 
and I'm okay with that. Cool. Well, uh, I think that that brings us very easily to our close. Going back in time to when I asked you a little bit, you've been keeping up very closely with what's been coming out and what's been released, uh, you know, for Fallout 4, and I have been the exact opposite. Um, I've been doing not everything I can because I have seen stuff here and there, you know, like on Reddit and Twitter and Facebook when people kind of whatever, maybe... Um, I'll watch a GIF or two, but I tr- I have done my best not to watch the videos. I've done my best, you know, not to read. I haven't watched anybody's like, you know, let's let's play where I play ten minutes of Fallout Four. I haven't done any of that because I really do want this to be um, a fresh experience. But obviously, we're getting closer and closer to the time, uh, you know, to the time of release. So I think it would be, you know, so I'm 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 open. To having this, you know, explained to me, and I want to hear, uh, I want to hear your thoughts and what is coming down the pike for Fallout Four, because uh, as yeah. it is, I'm pretty, pretty deep in the dark. Yeah. So, just as for our listeners, I have not watched any spoiler footage, and I will not be spoiling anything about the story. Um, I have watched the trailers. Um, have you watched the trailers, buddy? I have not. That's oh, also oh, so you my... don't even know? Oh man. Um, nope, do you, do you know, know the name of the things. character? Uh, I know. <laughs> what was announced at E3? That he was, like, a married guy or something? I, right, right. But, like, you know, like, the, there's the Courier, the Lone Wanderer. The oh, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Oh, nope. man. So, I'm not going to spoil that for you because if you don't know what that is, I kind of want you to have that. Um, but that's not relevant. This is all going to be about systems in the game. Stuff that, at least to me, doesn't really count as... Um, they're not, they're not story spoilers, they're kind of mechanical spoilers, and they're things sure. that you'd have to know within, like, five minutes of booting up the game anyway. Yeah. Um, Alright, so, um, just just so the audience gets uh, can know about the format, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to explain the thing to Buddy, and get his initial reaction, because it's all fresh from him, and then, then we can discuss our thoughts on it, but I, I kind of really want to get your kind of fresh take on all this. So, the first thing, um, you might actually know this because I might have mentioned it to you before, but... Um, in Fallout 4, there are no skills anymore. It's all in perks. Um, and you get a perk at each level, and it's everything's based on your special. What do you think of that? Okay. I'm cheating a little bit because I've known about this one for a while. Okay. I don't like this change. Uh, just my gut reaction. Because I actually think, the you know, it's really tough to explain this without kind of... the But it's it's very much like, like, a, like a, you know, an insider baseball thing of my first playthrough of Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, I didn't know the specifics of how skill points worked, right? So my so my thinking through that game was, you know, like, oh, like, oh, man, you know, I'll just, I'll level this one, you know, oh, I'll pop it up by, you know, five, five points or whatever. Maybe that'll improve my percentages a little bit, you know, like, okay, whatever. Uh, when the true design of the game is that you have to hit, you know, break points, right, milestones in the skill points, and they basically don't matter uh, otherwise. And so it's one of those things where the illusion of it was very valuable to me, and I th- and the illusion of it made the game play better. And I definitely don't think that it's unrealistic to design the game with skill points that work in the way that I've almost just described, right? You know, as you put more points in, all you're doing is kind of increasing, let's say, the, you know, the modifier or the the constant 
or you know just kind of whatever to incrementally increase your characters so that there is uh, a minor but a tangible difference between having 27 and 28 skill points in the unarmed tree or whatever um i thought that that was a i don't know i thought that that was a really engaging part of uh how fallout was systemized for three and four uh new vegas and i'm i'm kind of wondering <sighs> the perks thing or sorry this everything being tied to your special really makes the game feel less it just it just feels you know like a more bare bones comparatively sure um you got you got your perks you know leveling up in fallout 3 and fallout new vegas right but in in, in fallout 4 if everything is going to be perks that's just just gonna read a little bit strange to me i think okay so um first i'm gonna say i'm going to give you the popular opinion or the the opinion that's being shouted around reddit in the place which is but uh bethesda's making fallout simpler to appeal to a wider audience which might be true but my kind of take on this is going to be that um i have read all the perks i'm not going to go over them with you because that would take an inordinate amount of time um but so one of the things is that I felt like a lot of the perks in Fallout 1, or not Fallout 1, Fallout 3, were kind of bland. I think the perks in Fallout New Vegas were, were much better, and they were every other level. Perks are back to being one at a level, and there are perks that kind of take the place of, you know, getting your lock picking to 25 or getting it to 50. I think that's a pretty decent substitution that on those levels where you wouldn't be getting a perk, you're just essentially ranking up a skill to that level, um, which I think is okay. And also one of the things is that instead of a perk, or one of, I think it's technically one of the perks, is you can increase one of your special stats by one. Um, I think that, hmm. it's, okay. I, don't, I don't think it's a terrible system. Um, it looks like it's, like there's still some neat perks there. I am kind of disappointed having looked through the perks that, they're not, they don't seem to be as varied because a lot of them have to be um, kind of like these static boosts. Although I will say that they have put a little bit more flavor into into kind of like the, the base stat boosts and some of the capstones for them. Like rank 5, uh, like the, the video that got passed around, I don't know if you saw it, but the um, the capstone for the, the, uh, the melee weapon perk is you can occasionally knock somebody's head off. Um, uh, in in vats which i think is really cool actually it might not even be vats, but it just might be at any point in time you can occasionally just instant execute an enemy by batting their head off um i think that that's pretty cool um again i think it, like i think that i'm missing i'm gonna miss some of the more unique type perks like i don't understand why um the mysterious stranger has five ranks in it um but we'll we'll see how it plays out but i, I definitely feel your concerns but i think given the realities of the former skills i think ideally we would have gotten a better skill system but i think this is better than the previous skill system which was kind of like this tiered um this tiered mask for for uh what what was really important okay actually you know that's that that is a fair way of describing how i feel about it as well and uh, I guess I'm a little bit more, you know, I, I'm a little bit more melancholy that we are not getting that ideal skill system. Uh, but I, I feel where you're, I feel where you're coming from, certainly. And I think that that's a good way to kind of summarize my, uh, 
that's yeah, it's a good way to summarize how I feel about this whole thing. Okay. All right, let's move on to the next point then. Um, so, a video got leaked, and I, I didn't watch this video for content, but I watched it just to kind of see what happened. A little bit of it, I, I skipped. So, the video is, you can run across the Fallout 4 map in 11 minutes. Um, and the, I checked the video, it looks like the guy does that. Um, and so people were, immediately got aggravated about map size. Then it was subsequently released that, like, the unit distance of the map, and it's bigger than Fallout 3, and it's slightly smaller than Skyrim, but, like, the Fallout maps, it's, it's a little bit weird because the Fallout map's very square, and if you when you overlay it, you see that, like, some of it goes over where the ocean is Skyrim. And the other fact that people people want like to bring up is that Skyrim had a lot of mountains that were impassable anyway, a lot of empty space, whereas um, Boston's going to be much dense, more densely packed. But uh, how do you feel about that, about uh, map size and, and whatnot? Um, I'm typically... Well... It's tough. I think that bigger, like, like huger and huger map sizes are a huge trap. It's a giant, giant trap for designers. What it is, is it's kind of saying, oh, hey, we have more content than we used to. But it's not actually, I, I feel, rarely do I feel that that's actually the case. Um, and I think, you know, most of the time what ha ends up happening with the, the developers, they want to give you this soundbite of, oh, the map is 16 times what it was in the previous game. But generally speaking, what that amounts to is they're just spreading out the same amount of content over, you know, 16 times larger a map. And so it kind of creates a, a weirdly frustrating feel. A good example of this, by the way, is probably Dragon Age Inquisition, honestly. Um, that game was open world, and I definitely like that game a lot, right? You know, like, I don't want to try and disparage. It, it, Dragon Age Inquisition is a great game. Bioware is a great company. They, you know, it, it, it definitely wasn't, you know, game ending, and it, did, it didn't color my, my review, so to speak, of that game too negatively. Um, but a big problem with that game is they expanded the map size. But they didn't necessarily kind of expand the the kind of the story or the interesting points on the map with it. So what you ended up with, a lot of, lot of map with a lot of bullshit downtime, nothing crap in between. And while the, that map soundbite sounds good, it completely flavored Dragon Age Inquisition in a different way than the previous Dragon Age and um, Dragon Age 2, which were both very concise games by comparison, right? They, they both had, a, you know, a, a ton of story to them, but because there wasn't this huge map for you to explore and more or less waste your time in, all of the story missions were, you know, very pointed. And it was, you know, story mission after story mission after story mission with not a lot of bullshit in between. And I felt like Dragon Age, it, you know, you could play it story mission after story mission after story mission. And that's probably the optimal way to play it. But if you're somebody like me, you could have been bogged down looking for, you know fucking stupid ass shard tower things or trying to get 100% completion on these on these open world sections of the map which are just inherently uninteresting gotta and find almost, all them foozles right yeah and it's just you know like that's 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 boring that's bad that's bad game design in my opinion however bethesda has never indulged that right 
Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Skyrim, Oblivion, even going back to stuff like Morrowind, their maps have always been full. Absolutely I, full. So, I actually kind of want to, like, while you're talking about this, fun fact, I think Daggerfall is the biggest video game map that's ever been created. It was enormous, but it was all procedurally generated, and apparently most of it was trash. Um, just kind <laughs> I, of... <laughs> I played... Daggerfall is technically the very first Bethesda game I ever played. Because it was a game from, like, 1992, which was, like, the only thing they could run on my, you know, like, on my super <laughs> shitty laptop. But, yeah, you know, the game is not that great, obviously. But, uh, yes, I, I... Yeah, it's just, I think it's a very, very, very relevant, specifically right here while we're talking about it. But, but sorry, con continue with your point, because I think it's very valid. I just wanted to throw in that tidbit. I, yeah, anyway, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Bethesda has kind of... Uh, Bethesda has never stooped to scratch this you know this is like the ubisoft itch right ubisoft does this all the fucking time uh they've never they've never stooped to that level they've always you know they've kept their map sizes at a reasonable place and they've always filled them in a great way in fact fallout new vegas is actually technically speaking smaller i'm almost positive than Fallout 3 because there was a lot of dead territory in Fallout New Vegas because there, you know, it's obviously, you know, in the middle of the mountains. Um, but I, I didn't feel that that game was sparser than Fallout 3. In fact, if anything, I actually kind of liked the focus of that game more. And we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk in, you know, talk about previous Fallout games. Um, but I 100% trust Bethesda to make the most of their map space. And if I can run across the map, you know, in 10 or 11 minutes or whatever. I'm sure I could have done that in Fallout 3 too, um, but no one is ever going to convince me that that map wasn't big enough, right? There, to this day, I've done three full playthroughs of the game where I, you know, completed the story and gotten to level 30 and everything, and I've never... I, you know, there's stuff that I discover every time, right? I don't think I've ever done a exhaustive clear of every aspect of that game in its entirety. Um, so yeah, I, I trust Bethesda. Okay. That's actually kind of my feeling too. Specifically on the New Vegas point, I may disagree with you, but, uh, we're going to, we'll get into that later when we talk about New Vegas and Fallout 3. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you on that. I am not particularly worried about this. Um, the first thing I thought when I saw that you can run across the new, uh, the Fallout 4 map in 11 minutes is, well, how fast can you run across like the Fallout 3 map? And how fast can you run across, say, the World of Warcraft map? Because they feel big, but they're probably not that big. Because, you know, video game space is, a, is very different than real life space. Same kind of like, you know, uh, the the central city in Oblivion. The, the I can't remember the name of the city. Um, um, yeah, the, well, I think it's just called the Imperial City. Yeah, right? the, the, the Imperial City, um, you know. It's supposed to be this wide, sprawling city houses all of about a dozen people and six shops. <laughs> but like yeah. that, that's kind of yeah, like that's true. <laughs> that's kind of like the reality you have to face when you're playing a video game. Is that the realism there isn't fun? If it took me, you know, twenty minutes to walk four city blocks past hot dog vendors, I wouldn't be having a good time. Ironically, this is one of my favorite things about Dragon Age Two uh, because Dragon Age Two, you know, its map was basically. Basically, it was the city and a little bit of outskirts, right? But, uh, you know, there were all of these districts and everything. And uh, for all of you listeners, I hold the controversial opinion that Dragon Age 2 is superior to Dragon Age Origins. And I really enjoyed Dragon Age 2. I thought it was really well done, despite certain problems. Um, anyway, 
uh, Dragon Age 2, you know, it split up the city into these compartmentalized districts, and there always was this feeling of more to the city. So I think that's probably the closest I've ever gotten personally to feeling both the size of a city, um, but having it be normal, right? Having it not bog you uh, so completely down in uh, tediousness uh, as compared to something like, I don't know. Even even some of the better stuff like GTA or Watch Dogs, those cities just felt unreasonably small. I live I live in Los Angeles, so the idea that I could you know drive from functionally Long Beach to functionally downtown LA in literally thirty seconds that's a forty five minute drive in real life. Going on the most direct yeah. route on the highway, <laughs> like it's just that's always going to be unrealistic. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I, def- I definitely get that. I, I think that's. I think I think that's that's reasonable, um, and you know on, on that point I think that the Imperial City did feel big, and I think that Iron Forge, for example, does feel big, even though like if you sit down and count it, it, it it's not actually that big. That's certainly true. I th- I mean I think the biggest uh, the biggest thing about World of Warcraft cities that that helps this is the very clear districting of them, right? Every city is kind of compartmentalized into these districts. And I think that helps with kind of the abstraction um, of how, you know, like how big these how big these things are yeah. in reality. Oh, Imperial City has four areas. Oh, man, I, I, that I must do, be uh, huge. It well, ho, ho, it technically has five because there's that little, uh, there's that little outcast area. Or like, isn't there the one area that's outside but technically part of the Imperial City yeah. where, like, the gray fox quests are. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're you know talking what I mean? about. Yeah. yeah. I, I would count that as a fifth district. Don't disparage Oblivion, Mango, <laughs> even though that game does not hold up as well as... Oh, don't, don't you know that, it. like, <laughs> Oblivion was better than Skyrim? I know, yeah. Morrowind, Morrowind was better, was than, better than, than Oblivion. Oh, that is a hill that I will die on. I hate that. I hate <laughs> that so much. I hate oh. so much, dude. I'm 100% with you. Uh, and listen, I love to Oblivion. Literally, the week that Obli- or it's not even the week that Oblivion came out, I just bought Oblivion on a whim, right? Uh, my but my parents happened to be on a vacation or whatever, and literally, I just didn't go. I, I was in. I must have been in college because I was working some summer job at my parents' house or whatever. And I bought Oblivion and I loaded it up and I basically didn't leave the house for the next six days straight. I just didn't go to work. I just didn't, you know, I didn't go hang out with my friends. I just laid in my bed and played Oblivion on my laptop because it was, you know, it was Oblivion. Anyway, yeah. uh, moving, I definitely know that pivoting back to, uh, pivoting Fallout, back 4. to Fallout 4. <laughs> All right. Next one. I think this one's going to be interesting from you. So, um... The dialogue system has significantly changed. Instead of having these kind of um, diverse or like these fully spelled out options for you, there's what looks kind of like a dialogue wheel. You get four options, usually of the form. Uh, the top one's more information. The left, like the left one's yes, the no one's the right one's, or the left one is Paragon and the right one's uh, Renegade type of. Um, I'm very making a very specific illusion here. Um, but they don't say exactly what you're going to say. They kind of, you know, it's like agree or like, di- like you know, disagree meanly. And then they say something that isn't exactly what they said. And this has gotten people very, very angry. And I want to know what you think of this. Um, specifically because it seems very similar to um, 
the the uh the Mass Effect system, um, which is something that you you are known to love and and hold dear. I do. I really do love the Mass Effect system, but this sounds fundamentally different to the Mass Effect system, and it's uh and I think here's why. Maybe this isn't true for Fallout. Four, right, and maybe Fallout Four is a little bit more directed here. But the reason those systems work so well in Mass Effect and in Dragon Age Two and Inquisition, uh, though Inquisition was kind of a middle ground, I would say, is because you weren't. It wasn't a, a, a tabula rasa game, right? Um, it was a character game, right? Shepard is a character. You direct. Shepard and you influence kind of where he goes right but at the end of the day Shepard is never the kind of guy who's going to walk into a store on the citadel shoot everybody in it and steal from them right no matter what you do you cannot change that fundamental aspect of Shepard's character and you know this is obviously limited by the game system but I also think that this is a this is a, a limit of the game system that also applies to you know to the character right you're merely adopting the um you know the moniker of shepherd or the moniker of hawk uh, a similar system can also be seen outside of bioware system uh, games in deus ex right you are adopting adam jensen's moniker and there is a lot of freedom on how you do stuff with adam jensen and your adam jensen is different than my adam jensen just like my hawk is different than your hawk and your shepherd is different than my shepherd obviously but we all have to live kind of within the constraints of these guys are named characters who we are influencing but we are not you know defining uh at their corest basest levels Fallout has never been that kind of game. Fallout has always been a tabula rasa game where you are playing, you know, the Lone Wanderer, you're playing the Courier, uh, in Skyrim you're playing the Dragonborn, in Oblivion you're playing the Hero of Kvatch, I think is uh, the kind of the generalist title that you're given. Um, and these games allow you to be, it, it is about that freedom to truly express yourself through the lens of this character and there are so few limitations to how you do that that it really accentuates the idea that you know my shepherd might be different than your shepherd but they're going to be a lot more similar than my courier and your courier just because uh you know fallout wants you to 100 percent immerse yourself uh, and create this uh you know kind of substitution for yourself in the fallout world this change feels like it's going to backfire because um, it makes sense for me to nudge Hawk in a direction when it comes to the Hawk being the protagonist of Dragon Age 2 um, to nudge him in the direction with a dialogue wheel because I don't control the super specific aspects of his character as it is, right? So me just kind of nudging him in a general direction by saying, hey, you know, use the funny use the funny line this time rather than the super serious line he still fills out that line on his own and that feels natural um but when i'm playing fallout i i do think i want to dictate word choice and i do think that the kind of the nuances of word choice and this is super super true in the fallout 3 fallout new vegas system those nuances of word choice even though they end up in the same spot they matter because they affect the way that you know i feel like i'm playing this character and i think that this is something that we're really gonna miss um in fallout 4 unless i'm i i i misreading 
the situation of this game, and maybe this character is, you know, it is more of his own character than it is a character, um, you know, that I'm creating from the ground up. That, that you know, with that caveat in mind, I'm not a big fan of that change in general. Yeah, actually, so um, that's actually the same problem that a lot of people have with this change. Is that essentially, they're saying, I like to play this character, I like to roleplay this character, and this is going to take me uh, take away from that. Which is, I think, exactly what you're saying, and I think that that's fair. I think that's very, um, that, that's 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 a valid concern, and not you know, it's still a Fallout game, right? Like, there's nothing that being that this character isn't your character. One of the big differences is that all of the lines are going to be voice acted now, um, including my own lines. Yes. Oh man, that's another. Oh, what a failure point, dude. It makes sense. Ah. Oh. I hate this. Okay. Oh, I didn't know you didn't know that. Oh, so let's. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I really didn't have. I've, I've been trying to flip under a rock. Okay, so the reason voice acted lines and not voice acted lines are a really important thing in Fallout Three. I want to fill in the voice of my character. So, okay, okay, just backing this up even further. It makes sense for Shepard to have his own voice, right? Mark Muir does an amazing job with that character and that voice. I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to listen to Mark Muir do anything else in his voice acting career without thinking, you know, he's Commander Shepard. And I think that, that speaks to how well he voice acted that character. Um, but the it makes sense for that character to be voice acted because I'm not, you know, like, I identify with Shepard and I'm playing as Shepard and I'm directing Shepard, but I am not Shepard. Right, I'm just kind of nudging him in these general directions, and as I nudge him, he fills out the lines for me, and I hear them through his voice, which is always going to be his voice. Um, one of the big sticking points I have about stuff like Dragon Age Inquisition is Dragon Age Inquisition wasn't voice acted, but Dragon Age Inquisition made like the fatal flaw in my in my estimation, which is in these dialogue situations, they still treated the camera like my warden, my gray warden, was an, a unique and individual character. So what they ended up doing was they would put the character, they would put the camera on, you know, whoever I'm talking with, right, some elf or whatever, and then the elf would talk and all of their lines are voice acted, and then the camera would look at me, right, at my face, my warden's face, and then it would give me the dialogue tree. And then I would choose a, an option of it, and I wouldn't say those lines. I wouldn't have voice acting for those lines. It would just pop back to the other thing. And so it's visually framed like I'm having a conversation with somebody, right? Visually, it looks like I'm in a movie and I'm watching dialogue between two people, which is, you know, that's what it... But auditorially, right, I'm not listening to myself complete the one half of the dialogue that makes sense and that is so fucking jarring it doesn't make any sense at all the way that fallout and skyrim and oblivion have always gotten around this is that you're either in a first person camera looking at someone like i am i the player am looking at this character and i the player am speaking to them and i choose my options from the dialogue tree but it makes sense that those lines aren't voice acted because it's me right and i'm gonna fill in you know i'm gonna fill that in in my head and it makes sense and there's no there's no visual that keys me to think that voice acting is going to pop up at any time right even if i'm not in first person i'm still in third person sitting directly behind my character so it's not like i'm looking at myself sit there like a fucking idiot with my mouth closed right not speaking which is just uh it's so jarring anyway okay i think adding voice acted lines is going 
the is, is going that is once again going that direction towards Shepard. And if if in Fallout Four I'm adopting a persona rather than creating a persona, I'm I'm with you. That makes sense and that totally works. But if it's trying to be the kind of Fallout Three, you know, Fallout New Vegas, Tabula Rasa stuff, it's just trying to have your cake and eat it too, and it's not gonna work. Oh man. Uh, my hype, my boner, my hype uh, boner. Where is oh, it no. going? I'm uh, kidding. This is I'm being a little bit hyperbolic here. Yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And also, I am sure that these are going to be the first things that moderates are like. It's not enough, like Fallout New Vegas. We're going to revert. <laughs> we're going to revert it right now. Uh, uh, and I'm and I'm sure, like even in the, like, the very beginning moments, if you hate the voice acted lines, you can. Um, you can turn probably down the voice dialogue for. I don't know if you can do it per character, but uh, you can probably definitely turn it off if you want to and just read the subtitles. But um, on on kind of that note, because um, I personally I don't know if it's been leaked or not, and I don't know the details about the conversations. But um, I, w- I was going to say as a counter to the point your point about like Hawk and Shepard is an Inquisition. Um, it's it it is kind of a tabula rasa character, no. And you do still kind of get this dialogue tree. And it sounds like what you wanted was either a first person over the shoulder of you or for those lines to be voice acted. Is am, am I am I incorrect in my in my read of that situation? I think um excuse me, I think Dragon Age Inquisition occupies an interesting middle ground here. It is very much a Tabula Rasa character, but at the end of the day, he's not you know, he's named the Inquisitor and he can be an Alpha or a Canary or, you know, all of these other things in between. So there's more customization than there was with Hawk, and there's more customization than there was with Shepard. Um, but fundamentally, it's kind of the same thing, right? Your Inquisitor is—you can't make your Inquisitor leave the Inquisition entirely and go work for—I uh, won't spoil the, you know, anything about the game, obviously—and go work for the bad guy of the game. Whereas in Fallout, 100%, you can do that. If I want to walk into the main town in Fallout and execute everybody and steal all of their shit, that's something that the Fallout game system is allowed. That's something the Fallout game system should allow. Um, but in Inquisition, you know, you are you you are meant to uh, create more of the character than you were with Shepard, than you were with Hawk. Um, but at the end of the day, you still don't control everything, and I think that that's the kind of... Um, you know, that's kind of like the interesting break point between the two. Like, you you even named, you know, my my Inquisitor was, uh, you know, a male human noble. And so his name is technically Tondrick Trevelyan, right? But they don't they don't call him Trevelyan. They don't, you know, phonetically voice out Tondrick, even though that would be so fucking cool. And if there's ever a game system that can do that with, like, my personal written characters, I'm going to go baller. Like, I'm going to hey, go nuts for that. I got a surprise for you. <laughs> So, um, I don't know if Tonric will be in there, but the Mr. Handy that you create your character with at the very beginning of the game, um, he says your name. And he's got, like, a ton of names pre-recorded. So, you do get your name said as your character in Fallout 4. Holy shit. Um, That's that's cool. That's awesome. All right. (laughs) Um, Back on board? (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm I'm back on board a bit. Uh, Though, is it just the Mr. Handy that refers to me by Um, name? I'm not sure. I know that they pre-recorded a bunch of names, including, like, stupid ones like Balls, um, <laughs> and apparently John Cena. Um, so, wow. <laughs> I mean, I you know, funnily enough, I very typically uh, 
adopt you know i i adopt a certain number of personas no matter what games right uh there's a ton you know tonric came from wow but my dragon age inquisition character you know like that's 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 a tonric right um my first dragon age origins character was also a tonric um but my fallout characters have always been kind of unique to fallout i guess maybe this is just because i don't play a lot of other post-apocalyptic stuff but they always tend to be like I don't know. They're always like cowboy ripoffs. My first one was slim, and then I had like red. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these like super super cowboy names because I just I don't know. I uh, slim was actually not my Fallout Three character. He was my Fallout New Vegas character who took over. You know, who was the the white hat cowboy in the wasteland? And I always loved that kind of you know the the, the cowboy mythos that so, is injected into Fallout. So your Fallout Four character is going to be named Yasuo then. <laughs> maybe i don't know he might be <laughs> he might be named something like oh like you know like drifter you know like <laughs> west or something you know like that kind of bullshit i am so if if sergio leone came up with with a, like a super stereotypical cowboy name i will probably use that name in a fallout in a fallout <laughs> game before i die um anyway you could name your if you're gonna name him west might as well name him kanye <laughs> or or Drake, you can name your, you should name your your character Drake, and then do that hotline bling. Wes, I mean, Wes is kind of cheating because Wes was the name of a gunslinger. I actually I made him, but I never played. Do you remember when I was going to join Mark's Rune Lords game yeah, for yeah. a while? The character that I made for that was Wes, the uh, the the gunslinger who's like you know super cowboy. Yeah, um, you can name him after <laughs> my gunslinger Guido, the most cowboy sounding <laughs> name in the world. <laughs> real spaghetti western um <laughs> indeed in fucking deed um but yes um anyway i think i think we've kind of explored that a bit i i think i think this is definitely going to be the biggest change from a um from like a role play perspective which is actually kind of important i think to to like so um you know just gonna put that put this out there bethesda's story writing isn't the greatest um, and like all of that kind of like the reason you play, I, or at least the reason I play, I think the reason you play Bethesda games too, is for this kind of like immersiveness, like I am a oh, being yeah. in a world <laughs> kind of doing my thing. Um, and this is, I think going to be the biggest change to that. And so I'm curious to see if this, um, really d- does damage or if it works. Um, and I, I do think that Todd Howard is a good game designer and so, We'll we'll see we'll see I'm sure I'm sure this will be a big topic of conversation next week when we yeah, actually when we, hit yeah. we actually I, hit the game I completely agree with you there All right um couple more quick things these these should be relatively quick some of them are are a little bit less about the game itself but more about the news surrounding the game um the face animations look pretty bad not gonna lie like even in that <laughs> even in the launch okay. trailer um. Do you care? Like, do you, do you care too much about that? People, some people do. I, yeah, I don't think it's gonna be, be a make or break thing. A face, like, really good, really nuanced face animations. Uh, from my perspective, are for hardcore story, hardcore character games, right? You know, uh, you know, BlizzCon is happening right now, and so uh, you know, we're watching a lot of cinematics from StarCraft and everything like that, or like the cinematics from StarCraft Two. Um, that I just recently played. Those cinematics need really great 
uh, facial animations and even the in-game stuff needs great facial animations and good voice acting work because they're super character driven, super story driven. Like but in I World of Warcraft, think... all that facial animation, right? <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the, yeah, so yeah. the point is, right, I mean, if anybody has seen the in-game cinematics in Wrath of the Lich King and then compares them to the in-game cinematics of Warlords of Draenor, you can see that... You know, t- when Tyrannus Menethil comes out, spoiler alert, I guess, for a five-year-old expansion to a game that ends exactly how you think it is. When Tyrannus Menethil pops out of Frostmourne to take his son Arthas back into, you know, like, to die, literally, uh, his facial animations are garbage. And it does, you know, to a certain extent ruin the moment uh, a little bit. But uh, when Thrall and Garrosh are fighting on the plains of Nagrand, right, and Garrosh is admonishing Thrall for hoisting upon him this power that he wasn't ready for, and it's Thrall's fault, you know, that Garrosh was, uh, you know, made these shitty decisions and turned into a bad person, and Thrall is obviously like, no, you fucking baby, take responsibility for your own actions, um... Those facial animations are great. And you see, you know, you see the disappointment in Thrall's face. At the same time, you see this kind of uh, indignation, but also self-loathing in Garrosh's face. And I think that those, you know, those animations in those kinds of games, super character-driven, super story-driven, very important that you emote, you know, that, that you emote with that subtlety and with that grace and elegance that I expect from a real conversation. Fallout will never, you know, I, I don't expect it to be a super, super hardcore story game. Um, I don't think it should be a super hardcore story game. It really should be focused, like we said, on the immersion, right? The best the best thing about Fallout, the best thing about Skyrim, the best thing about Oblivion is how great and seamless and whole these worlds feel. And making sure that that is a top priority is always going to be fine with me. And if the facial animations are kind of whatever to, you know, make these one note-ish characters work, that's I doesn't bother me in the slightest. All right. Well, the other things I have on my list are kind of like outside of the realm of, of, of what we've been talking about. I feel like they're not a good fit. So, let's move on to discussions of Fallout 3 Oof. and Fallout New Vegas. Oof. Um, I've wanted to talk about these games in an environment like this for so long. I'm sure you have. And I think we actually are going to have an interesting counterpoint because, um, well, I think we might agree on what makes New Vegas, like, what the each game does better than the other. I think I'm going to fall down on the side of the fence that Fallout 3 is ultimately the better game. And I'm sure you think that Oof. New Vegas is the better game. I do think that New Vegas is the better game. Though I think, honestly, you know, I, I don't hold it against anybody. It, it's sure. definitely like a, a, a toss-up thing. And there are some things that I value uh, very highly, right, that you might not value as much. And that's kind of, that's that's really okay. And realistically, at the end of the day, we're talking about, like, you know, Fallout New Vegas is a 95 and fallout 3 is a 93 right, right you know right, right. and when you get to that when you get to that level of minutia it's uh it's always there's always a pretty large margin of error where one could take over another yes no absolutely i think i think i agree with you on that um but yeah I, i'm sure you have so actually let me let me talk a little bit a, a kind of i guess why i feel that fallout 3 or the primary reason at least why i like fallout 3 better than new vegas um this is actually going to go back to your point about how big the new vegas map felt and i'm going to say that i don't i felt that the new vegas map felt kind of linear and small to me um it might not have been 
but like that, that's just the way it felt to me right like it feels like you do this lap around the desert and then you're in new vegas and that feels like most of the like you know that, that feels like oh okay i did the thing whereas the the capital wasteland just felt so expansive and so like i could walk in a direction for five minutes and then find something weird like a town that was all run by children or something like that um and that was something that like i really valued all three that i didn't really get in, in in new vegas and that's all i think that's probably the single biggest reason why i like fallout 3 better what because it feels more open and more explorable and kind of kind of gets that kind of uh you know immersion factor in better for me whereas i feel like i'm being corralled in in new vegas i think that corralling is definitely there in new vegas but i definitely i certainly forgive it because um in my mind the immersion of new vegas comes less in like the it, you know in like the raw map and a lot more in the actors in the region right it was really important to me that new vegas actually take you know the 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 progression where you go you know you um you get dug up by victor the cowboy robot and then you head to the small town of good springs and then you head uh south and you hit uh god i'm blanking on some of these names but you know you you head south and then you hit this one the other right yeah you go to prim and then you go to uh the ranger station is down there and then you head east and you get introduced to kaisar's legion um and then you start heading north and you get back into kind of the ncr and i thought that progression is very very important for setting up the conflict between the NCR and Kaisar's Legion for uh, understanding Mr. House and who Mr. House is um, and to me the 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 meat of immersion in that game is constantly about these kinds of political actors around you right and so it makes sense almost that you know you had to go through this prolonged tutorial of you know in some playthroughs that tutorial could be long you know i played through i played through new vegas a couple of times honestly not as many times as fallout 3 um but you know it's kind of hard to go all the way through and hit new vegas inside of like five hours just because you know you have to do novak and you have to do prim and you you know you kind of have to go through that like horseshoe almost um but i definitely forgive that because i think it was so important to set up how people are interacting with the region such that when you do exit novak and you start making your way towards um you know new vegas proper and really the map unlocks in in its sum total um that you had a really good context for everybody that was moving and uh, everyone that was moving and acting in the the region. Yeah, see, I I just I, I get what you're saying, and I think that it's I don't think that it's invalid, but I I, I don't I just didn't feel that way about it. I felt like I was very locked down. Um, I think part of it too was that I found the actual city of New Vegas itself to be very very underwhelming like we were talking about imperial city and how that feels grandiose even though it's okay even though it's you know it's it's you know uh 12 people in three shops but i felt that new vegas really felt like three buildings um like it, it just it just didn't feel good like it, i i couldn't get into new vegas as an area as 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 it didn't fool me into thinking it was this this kind of metropolis like i think it was supposed to be like like say imperial city was and i think that in a, in a large way kind of was ca- kind of like the uh 
the last nail in the coffin almost because um shortly after i got into new vegas after my 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 only playthrough of the game really i kind of fell off of it um part of that i think was also due to some other factors like i played a melee character and every encounter was either i won handily or i couldn't win um and I think that might. I think that that was a weakness of the of the uh, the game system at the time, um, but I just don't. I don't think that. I I just that that to me is is what kind of makes New Vegas less less important to me than Fallout Three and say like Skyrim. Interesting. That's interesting. I guess I never got the feeling. Well. You know, I, I, I agree with you. New Vegas uh, wasn't as big or grandiose as the Imperial City kind of thing, but it definitely felt a lot like Rivet City to me. Uh, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't really feel like it was any bigger or worse. I think that that kind of uh, metropolis maybe was was implied, uh, and that's a failing a bit. But uh, realistically, I just kind of always figured, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland. How big is this big city that sure. you'd be able to and, make? And I, I think part of the problem there, too, is that, like, in the capital wasteland, um, and probably also in in uh, Boston, um, there's enough ruin that like there's enough implied city around. Whereas in Las Vegas, it's always going to be desert all around. So like you can't even have yeah. like filler building or whatever. Um, and and the Imperial City kind of felt I think grandiose cause it had some neat architecture and this impossibly tall tower in the middle, which. The towers in New Vegas kind of like that tower tower in in uh, in Oblivion felt incredible, whereas in New Vegas the skyscrapers kind of felt meh to me. Especially because you could go into them and they 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 had like three levels on them. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I suppose I I well I don't know that stuff just never really got to me though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you know, it, that stuff never really got to me in the same way. But here, let me give you a quick... Here's 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 my thesis on Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, right? And All ultimately, right, the, reason, the reason that I come down so hard on New Vegas is really because of this thing, right? I think Fallout 3 is a great morality simulator in a certain sense. Um, probably one of the best ones that we've gotten in a AAA game, uh, especially in the face of things like Infamous or Mass Effect or, you know, Deus Ex, right? Because um, there's, the, you know, there's a morality system that always underplays everything, right? You know, your karma is always there, but the karma is pretty systematically ignored almost. Um, there's not a lot of stuff that... There, there's some systems that come out of it and some options that come out of it, obviously, but it is nowhere near as integral to uh, what's happening around you as stuff like the Renegade Paragon system or as stuff like, you know, in Deus Ex, the kind of choices you make in there. And I think that's because, you know, morality is an inherently very, very personal thing. And it's a very, very context-driven thing. And that's what I love so much about Fallout 3. That's what I think get, it gets right, right? Fallout 3 for most of the game felt to me, uh, and this was especially accentuated on my most recent playthrough, which was two months ago, um, where, you know, you, you pop into a situation, you enter a building and you're subtly or ham fistedly, you know, it, it varies all the way. You're kind of asked a, a quick, easy moral question and how you answer that question is entirely contained within this like instance, right? You know, you enter this building and 
it just kind of asks you, hey, you know, how do you want to how do you want to deal with this thing? You go, ah, you know, I want to deal with it this way kind of thing. You get a little karma. You lose a little karma. You know, you kind of see your, your numbers go up and down, but it's not really that big of a deal. And then you complete this little mini story with that, you know, with that morality in mind. Contrary to that, Fallout New Vegas is like an ideological simulator. And what I mean by ideology specifically is like political ideology. Um, because, you know, in, in Fallout New Vegas, you're asked to choose between Mr. House, uh, Kaisar's Legion, the NCR, and of course, uh, whatever you want to make in your own kind of general decisions of, you know, whatever. And I couldn't help but notice that that aligns pretty perfectly with some, you know, high-minded political ethos of, you know, classical liberalism, classical authoritarianism, uh, you know, libertarianism, and the other one that I'm blanking on, right? You know, you have the NCR, which is a pretty liberal, you know, a lot of, a lot of quests in the NCR are about, you know, okay, these farmers have to, you know, they're, how they're farming is very regulated and everything like that, but at least they're safe. At least they're, you know, they're free and they can make their own decisions. Whereas Kaisar's Legion is like, look, you have to be fascist and authoritarian with absolutely everything in order to be successful in the wasteland, right? And when you ally with Kaisar's Legion, you're really kind of staking a, a political claim, um, in that authoritarianism, whereas, uh, you know, obviously if you make your own choices, you're living the functional dream of libertarian ethos, right? Because you as the individual are making these and uh, making these decisions and it's very much implied even when you, you, you can include, disinclude and make all of these kinds of choices for how you want to do with New Vegas. But fundamentally, when you take over New Vegas from Mr. House and the NCR and Kaisar's Legion... Uh, you are granting absolute, uh, pretty absolute freedom to everybody and guaranteeing their security with your, you know, giant army of Securitrons, right? Um, whereas if you accept Mr. House, right, uh, Mr. House doesn't really care all that much about the economics, but his, uh, you know, he's going to crack down and uh, keep you in line in a more, uh, with, with more stuff overhead, and I think that that's, you know, when you walk into a town in Fallout New Vegas, right, the town is saying, hey, listen, here's the situation. Do you want to, you know, like, are you going to – when you when you have to deal with the great cons, right, the great cons chafe really heavily at the way that the NCR kind of expects them to abandon, to abandon pieces of themselves almost, right? And um, Kaisar's Legion says – yeah, you're going to have to abandon a piece of yourself, but you're, add, you're adding yourself into something greater. And, you know, the NCR says, listen, at least under the – at the NCR, you're going to have to give up some of your freedoms, but at least, you know, socially, you'll be, you'll be free, right? We're not going to enslave your women the way Kaisar's Legion are. Um, and, you know, if you go to the Great Cons, you can literally just say, hey, listen, join me and I'll let you do whatever the fuck you want, Right. Um, I think that 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 is that is what's being tested by Fallout New Vegas. Whereas in Fallout Three, you're being very tested on, you know, what do you think is the right way to handle this situation, which is the primary dividing line in my in my sense between the two, and everything else kind of falls in around that, so to speak. Yeah, no, that that sounds completely that? fair. Um, and I totally get that. I do. Um. From my perspective, at least, 
um, that, that kind of, uh, like, well, that's, well, that's really cool. And, and I definitely agree with you that that's definitely the case. That's not as important to me as some of the other things, like, like, like the, the way the, the freedom and I feel like, that. Yeah. um, and I definitely get your point. I definitely think that that's completely valid. Um, it's just ultimately not as important to be, to be, yeah. <laughs> to be completely honest. I think that that's, that, that hits it on the head because honestly, I, what I, I, New Vegas is the kind of more complex undertaking in this sense, right? Because in one of them, everything is uh, kind of on its own island, and you really only have a couple of different choices to go through, and they don't affect each other very much. Whereas in New Vegas, everything is a part of this greater political web of the region, right? If you fuck with the NCR here, (laughs) you're disenfranchising yourself with Kaisar's Legion over there, right? If you, you know, if you destroy mr house's robots he's got you know you 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 stop being able to interface with mr house in the same way and i think that interconnectedness is probably a little bit worse in you know fallout new vegas is probably a little bit worse in its execution than fallout 3 but i think that's a result of you know ambition and vision um it's it's not really hitting you know it's not really hitting its vision and i'm willing to forgive that amount right i'm willing to say that you know what this ambition is really cool and i'm really glad that they you know they kind of shot for the stars and landed on the moon here um which uh yeah i don't know that's uh that's kind of how i think about it also from a systems perspective uh i fundamentally felt that fallout 3 was uh fallout 3 was very easy to break in my opinion, sure. and Fallout New Vegas was much better balanced um, and had a lot better kind of longevity uh, where, you know, I couldn't just, well, I mean, well, certain in certain instances in Fallout New Vegas, I could just kind of run around, run around one-shotting things, um, but it wasn't nearly as easy as it felt and as quick as it felt when I did that kind of thing in Fallout 3. One of the notorious things that people say about Fallout 3 is you basically can just max speed. If you if you spend all of your early skill points into speech, you can just kind of talk your way through like half of the quests, which I think is pretty bad design. Whereas in Fallout New Vegas, there's a lot of talking options, but only a couple of them are re- like only the ones that you are being specifically persuasive are about speech, right? Sometimes you'll have to use explosives right and it's like this dialogue option is only unlocked if you have 50 points in explosives and you're just like well fuck me i guess i should have you know i should have upped my explosive skill before kind of coming into this thing or you know one of them is survival and and, and that kind of thing so i don't know i think there's that aspect to it as well yeah and i, and I think um i think that fallout 3 i th- you know you, you say it's bad design i think that's only true because it's very simple and you know not that um, you know, Oblivion's speech system with that weird spinning wheel or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Whatever. Oh man. What was any great? Um, what was any great feat or anything? But like, you know, we talked about diplomacy checks in a previous episode. Um, <laughs> we but, did. Like, I but like you know, a system that required you to do a little bit more than just, you know, have a high speech skill would. I think, because I, you know, on face, that sounds really neat, right? Like, you know, oh, you don't have to even shoot anything. You could just talk your way out of it. That sounds really cool, but when the reality of it is, is that you can click a button and skip the skip the content, essentially, instead of shooting it, um, yeah. it's less satisfying. Definitely. Well, there's no, I mean, 
to plugging another one of our episodes, there's no mastery to that. Right? Yes. There's a, there's a lot of mastery between how you strafe, how you move, you know, can you aim your shots or using your vats correctly kind of stuff to the combat. But when the diplomacy is, you know, it's a success or fail based entirely on how you navigate the dialogue tree. At, I'm just not as, as deep with it. Though I will say Fallen New Vegas had another great instance of this in um, – did you ever do the Fort McCarran quests where, uh, you know, Fort McCarran is this big military compound for the NCR, and they've captured a very high-level um, Kaisar's Legion operative. And um, um, I don't think so. The, there's, you know, there's a quest associated with it where you can go in and you can interrogate the operative. And, oh, my God, is this so well executed. I thought it was honestly... Ah, uh, it's so it is it is the crowning achievement. I mean, it's not even a Bethesda game, but it is a crowning achievement of kind of the Bethesda dialogue tree uh, interaction. As far as I'm seeing, like go go watch a video of this. Basically, what ends up happening is you, you know there are options that you can take to trick the uh, the the officer into giving up the information that you want, right? And uh, you know some of them are intelligence based, some of them are perception based, you know some of them are you know, skill tree based. And so there's all of these kinds of different options for how you're going to navigate the, and you're trying to, it's very much like a safe scumming thing too, where you're like, you can just kind of fuck up and like trigger the wrong thing. You have to go back to a previous save and fix it kind of thing. But it was so good at simulating, right? Like how do I, how do I get the information out of this guy that is 100% not going to give me the information? Um, you know, the spoiler alert here is the best and easiest way to do that is to kind of convince him that you're working for Kaisar's Legion, right? You go in and then, you know, you ask for some privacy and you're just like, okay, dude, I'm a super high-level operative of Kaisar's Legion. What have you told these guys, you know? And he's like, oh, no, I haven't told them anything. I haven't told them anything. And then he goes on to kind of explain all of the things that you will, that you need to know and you kind of – you ask the right questions. You're like, oh, you know, make sure you don't tell them about this thing. And he's like, oh, I never told them about this thing, and, you know, and he goes in and all this – it's so awesome. And you feel so great when you complete that quest and you, you know, you mine all of this information out of him. And then you're just like, oh, by the way, it's totally fucking tricking you, dick. Like, it, it was, uh, it, that was so, mm, that felt great. Yeah, no, def definitely. I definitely feel that. I think you might have convinced me to at some point go back and look at New Vegas. And hopefully in, uh, in Fallout 4, they do have a couple of factions. Um I don't. I think they've alluded to the factions kind of interacting in weird ways, um, with kind of the Institute taking the place of the Enclave in Fallout Three, where like that's kind of like the evil one that that kind of has to be evil, like. But uh, I don't know how well. Obviously, I don't know how well it's going to be implemented and how close to the New Vegas ideal it's going it's going to get. But maybe maybe we'll see aspects of that, and I am sure that um, the mod community will will be on top of that kind of thing. So I'm excited. I think. The thing that we can really take away from this is that we're pretty excited for Fallout 4, right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I'm pretty excited. That is, that is a, that is a, that is a fact. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm pretty sure that's what we need to. Um, listeners, we're going to talk about, you know, our first big impressions for Fallout 4 next week. So, you know, stay tuned for our i guess almost our review of fallout 4 i'm sure we'll we'll fill out an hour and a half just talking about everything that happens in between i'm taking i actually i don't know that i need to take off work because 
Um, you know, fun fact, Final Fantasy 14 is patching on Tuesday, which generally means I get the day off because the patches, you know, it takes the whole day and everything is down. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go nuts. I'm gonna have, yeah. I'm gonna have fun. I have reserved two days off at my job, so I will be, um, so for next week, um, hmm, maybe we'll discuss this during the week, but I kind of want to try and avoid story spoilers, but I don't know how much of that we're going to be able to, to do without talking about, like, cool moments or whatever. Well, I think we'll play I it by think ear. The, I, yeah, I think the best way that we could do it would be to front load a lot, of, you know, like, kind of half and half, right? Like, front load non-spoiler stuff, and then halfway through say, all right, boys and girls, spoilers from here on out where we go when we go Yeah, and I, and uh, I, I, can, I can edit in also, like, if we end up spoiling things better, I can edit in, like, a, like, you know, like, spoiler start here type of thing. Yeah, so, that makes, yep. Sure. Um, so that's the plan for next week, dear listeners. Um, tune in every week to hear a new episode of some derps talk about games. If you are hype about Fallout 4 and want to tell us how raging your Fallout 4 boner is, you can email us at some derps playgames at gmail.com. You can watch us play um, uh, Rise of the Rune Lords most Mondays um, at, uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. or 6 p.m. Pacific, rather, 9 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash some derps playgames. And most Tuesdays for Iron Gods at at the same place. Um, we're both in those games, and hope we hope to hear from you and see you watching our channel. And uh, we're gonna play a bunch of Fallout Four this week. Indeed, farewell, loyal listeners. Farewell, dear listeners. <laughs>